The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It truly is a very, very significant week with what you might call unprecedented attacks against the Christian church as the LGBT agenda in the hands of the Labour Party has sought to shut down freedom for Christian schools to teach according to their religious beliefs. Well, it seems there is a reprieve, but it looked very possible yesterday that schools could easily have lost religious freedom this week. The Coalition and Labor both had bills before the Parliament to amend the Sex Discrimination Act. Scott Morrison challenged Labor to allow a conscience vote to back his bill. But that was quickly turned down by Bill Shorten. The Morrison bill both prevents religious schools from being able to expel LGBTI students and with the protection that would allow schools to teach in accordance with their own religious beliefs. Well, Labor argues it supports the government's bill in principle, but has concerns that the wording of the proposed amendments to the Sex Discrimination Act actually opens up further grounds for discrimination. So it would appear that under the Morrison bill, if schools were challenged by LGBT students, it would therefore be in the hands of the courts or the Human Rights Commission as to the expectations that schools should obey, that students rather, should obey reasonable school rules. Well, there is some complexity in this whole argument, this whole debate. It does appear to to be that there is a reprieve until early next year. We're going to talk through these issues today, make sense of them, and understand the value of what it is to maintain religious freedom, because that is freedom for all Australians. Michael Callahan leads the Christian legal think tank called Freedom for Faith. Joining us and taking your questions and comments through this hour. Uh, Michael Callahan, a special welcome back to 2020. Uh, Thanks, Neil. Great to talk with you again. Uh, Michael, it is complicated. There has been significant things going on in the Parliament this week, and really, you've you've really got to think through the issues deeply to try and get your head around what's happened. Uh, Yeah, it's been a mess. And, you know, we're in the last week of Parliament now, and everyone was trying to just, uh, you know, rush things through and come good on commitments that have been made earlier in the year. Uh, so what we've really seen is is a scrambling to try and fix things that I think comes out of a failure of leadership to uh, put the Ruddock report out sooner so that, you know, people can have an informed debate so that it isn't done on the run with uh, competing bills and the like that we've seen in the last uh, few days. Uh, I think it's important, isn't it, to recognise why this debate was happening because the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, did say during the Wentworth by-election that he would expect to resolve this before the end of the year. And so being the last sitting week of the Parliament, this was the reason why this was coming up. But uh, the Labor Party was taking full advantage of that. Well, I think, I think you can go back even further and say, why did he, why did he make that commitment? Because there was a media storm about uh, gay children being... Uh, expelled from schools. Uh, where did that come from? It came from the leaked 
selectively leaked uh, recommendations of the Ruddock report that came from Fairfax in the lead-up to that Wentworth by-election. The following week, Media Watch, you know, ran a story and said that Fairfax headline, you know, secret plan to expel gay students was just a lie. Um, it, there was no secret plan. Gay students are not being expelled. This was not a real issue uh, that re- needed solving. And the, the problem was that that leaked, um, misleading media report became the focus for uh, an understanding of what religious reform needed to be, um, rather than looking to what is the Ruddock report uh, with its expert panel, with its 16,000 submissions, with its opportunity to give a considered balanced kind of judgment. Why wasn't that the thing being put out to better guide the conversations and the drafting of legislation? There's, there's no answer for that. Okay, so really you're taking this all back to those leaked recommendations uh, that were exposed as a lie. So uh, there was an untruth being told uh, by whoever leaked those recommendations uh, with this idea that uh, that there would be uh, this expulsion of uh, LGBT students. And now it's led us to this point, Michael. Uh, but before we take this conversation deeper and dissect some of the things that are important, I wonder whether we might just focus for a few moments because having a conversation about freedoms, because freedoms, not just religious freedoms, many different uh, dimensions of freedom, perhaps we need to be asking the question, what have we got to lose as a nation if this whole freedoms issue uh, goes pear-shaped and we lose it? Uh, What are your thoughts just on what the nation has to lose if this freedom debate is lost? Well, I think you, you lose the ability to have uh, opinions which are out of step with the um, government of the day. So if, if it says, look, here is the set of beliefs that you, you must that we hold, uh, that's one thing. But for them to say, look, we hold them and we insist that others uh, hold them or don't speak against them as well, then that's something else. Uh, so, of course, that goes to controversial issues like... Uh, you know, around sexuality, but it it would also apply to things like end-of-life questions or places where people of faith may have a different position than, you know, the the newspaper uh, editorial policy or the political party. Um, So what's at stake is whether we actually have diversity for a range of opinions and a freedom to speak those different opinions uh, and to live them out in in schools, in charities, in in, uh, churches, or whether we instead move to a more authoritarian setting where everyone kind of needs to comply with, you know, here is the the latest agenda that must also be yours. And as you say, uh, the rise of authoritarianism was talking about this just a few minutes back uh, with Charles Newington from Family Voice Australia. Uh, This idea that somehow or other Christian schools are detached from the church, uh, that's not true either because Christian schools are really an extension of the teaching of the church. So if the Christian schools are under the thumb, under the authoritarian control of the state, that means that the church itself is under the authoritarian control of the state and every other dimension that the church teaches then comes under question. Yeah, it's important that we don't think of religious freedom in a very narrow way of thinking it's just about freedom of worship or what takes place on a, a Sunday morning or 
you know, Friday night at a mosque or something like that. It's, it, it has to extend beyond the door of the synagogue, the door of the church, and out into the ability for people to live out their life, but also for uh, faith-based organisations to form on the basis of their belief and set up things like charities, like hospitals, like schools. You think about the incredible uh, good that is done in that space uh, by faith-based organisations if you start saying that those organisations can't, uh, you know, organise themselves according to the principles that bring them into being, then rightly they will ask, well, why should we be doing this at all? If we're going to be pushed, pushed into the public uh, system uh, in terms of uh, schooling and we're not able to teach the faith, then why don't we, you know, sell it to Chinese investors and... Uh, instead pour the money into youth work and, and churches and things like that. Uh, let me ask you, a little, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that the Radic Freedom Review, uh, that you were saying that perhaps the government may be a little negligent in not releasing its response to the Radic Review into religious freedom before now, because had the government released its response then we would have real substance to be able to talk about. There'd be a real debate that is in progress. But, of course, uh, there's an out-of-control debate that happens while the government holds on to and doesn't release its review. Uh, what are your thoughts a little more deeply about just how negligent that may be that we haven't heard from the government? I, just, I, I think we just need leadership. This is an area that's uh, contested. It's not going to be simple. Uh, so let's have... Um, the best thinking out there on the table. So many different groups, so many individuals put submissions in. Uh, there was careful uh, consideration. So it, it's, it just seems foolish not to uh, have the benefit of, of that, uh, all that thinking uh, when Parliament is making uh, difficult uh, laws that genuinely do look to balance competing rights and to think about how... All Australians uh, are to be protected. Um, this isn't a space where you know it should be. It should be done on the run. It'd be beautiful to think that you know you could have some um, behind the scenes, bipartisan uh, kicking around of ideas that lands us in a better place. I think both parties would be in a better position if, if this isn't a contested um, you know election issue. Um, we we. We don't want to get involved in the in the politics of that. We don't. Um, we're not interested in in running partisan lines. We've, freedom of faith. That is, we're, we're resolutely bipartisan and wanting to work with anyone. But um, there has to be space now that it is off the off the immediate agenda of Parliament for people to be able to come together uh, and to work out something that goes beyond the kind of outrage cycle of Twitter. Uh, or the positioning around you know, the 24-hour the news cycle uh, on the parliament floor. Of course, uh, organisations like Freedom for Faith, and uh, we could list a whole lot of different organisations who have been involved in this uh, battle to protect religious freedom. And as you say, you want to take a non-partisan approach because you never know that in the new year after a federal election you might be dealing with uh, the Labor Party. And uh, the uh, reality here is, uh, Michael, that uh, this issue has driven a wedge that does separate two ideological sides here and uh, and perhaps we're getting a closer and more fuller understanding of where those ideologies sit. 
but of course there is what is coming from the progressive side, from the Labor side of politics, uh, what does appear to be a absolute attack on the uh, freedom of religious organisations to be able to teach uh, what they believe. Uh, so there is certainly a, a real challenge here, isn't there? Because uh, while you want to remain non-partisan because you want to be able to have relationship with both sides, uh, there is some sense in which you do have to defend one side and not the other. Look, I think um, a, a lot of the problems are actually happening at a state level. Uh, so at a state level, we've certainly seen um, governments of, of uh, you know, not just, uh, not just uh, Labor governments, but we've seen... Uh, governments that have brought things which really cause serious um, problems uh, for people of faith. Uh, and so this kind of is the moment for the Commonwealth to come up with a solution. And I don't, I, I just don't think it's as simple as saying, you know, the ALPs, the enemies of freedom here and the Conservative parties are the ones uh, bringing something different. Like, I think even within each party, there is... Uh, a, a lack of unity uh, and a lack of clarity about where they stand. Uh, certainly some of the proposals from the Penny Wong drafted bill, we, you know, we immediately uh, saw problems there, uh, some of which were um, definitely, you know, there's an intent there to um, restrict freedoms, I think you could say would be the effect. Uh, but there are also problems of just unintended consequences that come from doing drafting on the run, which is why even, you know, the Greens uh, were asking questions about what the unintended consequences of the, um, of the bill might be. So I think we're, we're happily in a, in a space where we can call out a plague on both the houses, uh, uh, but also hopefully work, with, work across the board uh, to be able to say, look, um, there are genuine different competing interests here that need to be recognised and, and balanced and um, uh, we can't just uh, have a zero-sum gain politics which says you either choose uh, religious freedom or LGBT rights. A very good perspective you're raising there where you can maintain a bipartisan relationship because, as you say, uh, it's at state level where these things will be worked out ultimately. And I guess what we're talking about here, Michael, is anti-discrimination tribunals and each state will have its own laws and be, be guided by their own ideologies. Yeah, and the last five, ten years we've certainly seen a growth of tribunals and their work and the, a growth of protected attributes and a growth of problems arising out of out of this area. Uh, so uh, the, the hope, I suppose, coming out of the Ruddick report is that rather than having, you know, here are seven different systems by which we can understand the freedoms we, we do or don't have, uh, we're able to have one Commonwealth system which clearly sets out for people what their uh, rights and responsibilities are um, the, the way Australian constitutional law works is that broadly speaking the Commonwealth law just kind of trumps whatever the state issue is so we've certainly um, uh, recognised in this review of Commonwealth uh, and, and state law under, under Ruddick an opportunity to you know, get a Commonwealth fix uh, that will stop some of the further 
problems we're seeing at a state level. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today or leave a note on Facebook, a bunch of comments coming through. Uh, Michael Kellahan is our guest from Freedom for Faith. Uh, Michael, just uh, reflecting on some of the comments coming through on Facebook from Margaret who says, of course Christian schools should be able to teach according to their biblical beliefs. That's what a Christian school is about. Students should expect that school rules should reflect a Christian ethos. To claim discrimination against LGBT, etc., students, is like a tennis player joining a football club and claiming discrimination because he or she is not allowed to play according to the rules of tennis. Uh, there's an interesting little analogy there. Any thoughts for Margaret? Uh, it, it's completely common sense. It's exactly why... Those exemptions were put in the Act in the first place. It's why no, it was never an issue because the church has never even sought them. People thought, of course, you have to do things this way. Um, the, the same logic would apply to a political party saying we want to actually have uh, people here who share our beliefs and convictions. Um, the, the issue, though, is with the proposed changes and the removal of these exemptions, then you wouldn't be able to rely on the fact that, you know, oh, we have these beliefs. Uh, you're not able to set up beliefs that are at odds with the law. And so in the absence of some other protection, removing these exemptions uh, leads you to a position which, you know, is not common sense, but more uh, seriously puts you out of step with the law and subject to whatever a tribunal might want to do to you. Another Facebook comment from Iris who says, if you're going to have to teach different beliefs to what you believe, maybe you need to set up a new school to teach your different beliefs in just like every other belief system is doing now, uh, Christians, Muslims and so on, to stay true to your own personal faiths and beliefs. Uh, is that uh, a likely possibility, Michael Callahan? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's very easy to uh, be a vandal of institutions, to tear them down and to insist that, you know, these institutions fit with your belief. Uh, we don't generally see people making those complaints being builders of institutions, setting up hospitals and charities and schools and the like. Um, I'm, I'm with Iris uh, on that, I think. Let's take a call. James is on the line from South Australia. Hello, James. Welcome. Hello there. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you going? Uh, very well, James. Okay. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Well, it, really just touching base in relation to one of Michael's comments about, um, I guess, his political thoughts. And the thought that crossed my mind was the recent elections um, in Victoria um, and some of the elements that I'd heard about uh, transitioning governments there, but also... Um, some of the views that they were intending to try and, um, I guess, engender new laws within schools um, in relation to, I guess, um, the, you know, sort of uh, sex education, um, you know, fluid gender in schools. Um, and the other thought that crossed my mind was if we do go down a path where um, our religious freedoms are monitored by the government, uh, which we've seen down through history, then what we'll, 
do we end up going back to where we were in the 1600s, where we're um, being uh, told when and where we can worship, or is it then become similar to uh, what we see um, outside of our Western cultures, where um, you have an underground church and where you see uh, intense persecution? Uh, James, good thoughts there on where you would see this development going because the sky's the limit when you start to let your imagination run wild about what could go wrong. Uh, Michael Callahan, your thoughts for James in South Australia? Uh, well, two things. One, at a state level, um, there's no constitutional bar on, on um, the state doing any of those things and more. And so there's no protection of religious freedom at a, at a state level that would stop the government doing that. The Australian Constitution doesn't stop it at a Commonwealth level. So one of the reasons we're saying we need Commonwealth laws to actually uphold the rights of people to do things like raise their kids in the faith. That's not an unreasonable thing. It's something we've signed up for at international law, but we just don't have laws that actually give effect to that. So that's the specific thing on the states. More generally, um, look, it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, we don't we don't want to be alarmist and compare our situation to you know a North Korea, um, but we don't want to be naive either. Uh, the freedoms that we enjoy here have been remarkable, and sometimes they only make sense as uh, freedom only makes sense when you lose it. I often find that you know it's the taxi drivers uh, who understand religious freedom much better than the politicians because you know they're the ones that have generally fled somewhere where they haven't had freedom and they want it for their kids. Uh, good thought, and thank you so much to James from South Australia. And uh, Michael, you might be right. Uh, ask a taxi driver what it's like to be free, and uh, if they enjoy the freedoms in Australia, and you might get a an interesting and enlarging response. Uh, we're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. You might like to contribute to our conversation. Uh, you can also leave a thought on our Facebook page, facebook dot com forward slash vision radio. Let's uh, look at a Facebook comment from Steve who says all school children should obey the rules of the school so I'm not sure why you've singled out LGBTI students for special mention in that regard well of course uh, uh, the LGBT agenda has been what's generated this whole debate so uh, your thoughts for Steve and his comments Michael yeah look I, I sympathize with kind of wanting to say let's not single out LGBT kids, surely faith-based schools, you know, want to talk about the love of Jesus to all kids and so on, and absolutely, you know, I'm into that. Um, the reason that this is an issue, though, is because the anti-discrimination laws set up uh, certain groups of people who have protected attributes. That includes sexual orientation, um, you know, gender identity, and, and lots more. And, and so it's a question of whether certain students in the school actually would have a legal right against the school so that if the school were to do things like teach, um, you know, a conservative um, biblical sexual ethic around uh, marriage, that that caused harm and detriment to those kids and that they could bring a complaint um, because of the teaching that that is being done. At the moment, that's clearly protected. Um, that wouldn't be the case were there just to be a stripping away of exemptions. And another Facebook comment, or I'm not sure if it's a continuation, but parents send their children to private school for various reasons. 
Generally, it's to do with values they hold. Faith-based schools should be free to teach according to the values and ethos that they hold and expect staff they employ to be fully supportive of those values and ethos. This fully supports parents' rights to have their children taught according to their values without interference from the state. Uh, It's a focus there on uh, parents, ultimately, are the ones who uh, the losers, if there's any change here, Michael. Uh, Yep. And... uh uh, and yet, you know, you'll have different parents wanting different things. Uh, so they do have an interest uh, in, in terms of raising their child, but that's expressed in the choice they make in the school they send. Um, we've also got to have a freedom to set up schools so that people sharing those interests can kind of group together and say, here's the... Um, Here's the values, here's the beliefs that uh, we hold and we want our our kids to be raised in. Let me come back to something we were talking about uh, just a little earlier. Uh, The idea that uh, perhaps on both sides uh, there could be uh, the ways that people are thinking about uh, goodwill for... Uh, religious freedom, recognising the major ramifications here, uh, concerns, of course, how Bill Shorten completely knocked back the idea of a conscience vote. In other words, there must be people within the ALP who people who are people of goodwill uh, towards this whole uh, freedom of religion debate. What are your thoughts uh, for the Labor Party knocking back that conscience vote, and and what that might mean for what how we might see the Parliament on both sides? Oh, look, I think Labor Party have their own rules as to figuring out whether something's a, a conscience issue or not, and I don't think this ever was, was going to be one. Uh, so uh, in that sense, it's something was being put up that clearly was never going to get support. Uh, so I think we're at a, effectively from yesterday, we're, we're at a stalemate where um, both sides are putting up bills which are incapable of support, people are pulling out. Uh, problems day by day as to the drafting of particular bills and what they may or may not do and um, we, we just need some better uh, work than this um, to uh, you know achieve the kind of reform that everyone needs. Okay, so don't hold your breath for a conscience vote across the whole parliament. Uh, it's not likely to happen. Uh, there will be, uh, there'll be and, uh, people... And can I say, look, you know, nor should it uh, in some ways. We're not talking about... Uh, well, you know, each party can work out their own position in terms of conscience, but it's not as though religious freedom should be a conscience issue, as though it's some special private religious kind of uh, right. I mean, the, the government's own bill said that schools would have the ability uh, to teach the faith. So they shouldn't then be saying, look, this is, a, you know, a, a question of private conviction. It's not. It's a question of public faith. It's a question of having laws that clearly allow people to live out the faith and to hold views which are different from their neighbours. So I think there's a danger that Christians kind of get pushed into uh, being treated as having some weird and strange beliefs that can only be dealt with by unusual mechanisms in Parliament like, you know, a, a, a conscience thing so that parties can't hold a position. Parties should be committed to religious freedom. That should not be controversial. Uh, And in fact, they should be um, very public in that commitment uh, and not wanting to lessen the obligation on any of their members uh, and say, yeah, you can have a conscience vote 
uh, not to support religious freedom on, on these issues. That's such a good point. And, you know, we might be reminded of commitments that came on both sides of the parliament uh, in the lead-up to the marriage vote, uh, which said uh, that both sides really were committed to religious freedom. And uh, perhaps just holding both sides to that uh, might just bring out the best in both sides. Yeah, and the devil, of course, is in the details, and they're finding that out as they try and figure out how do you balance competing rights, what does this look like? And the thing that we've been saying is that the whole exemptions regime is broken and it's not an appropriate way to deal with this. So although this morning I've been saying, look, you know, um, we, we should be wary about just getting rid of exemptions, the longer-term game must be that, that they have to go uh, because they keep looking like an inexplicable concession to bigotry. Uh, and why is it that religious groups and people don't have... Uh, the same general obligation to obey the law as others. Um, it's a crumbling kind of ledge that you would stand on if you kind of rely on exemptions. And one of the really interesting things about the the Ruddock inquiry was that y you could find many, many churches and faith-based schools groups who would 100% uh, be agreeing with the LGBT groups in saying that these exemptions aren't the appropriate way to deal with religious freedom. Uh, where the difference is, of course, is what might replace it. You know, where do we go from here? Uh, and I think both parties are now seeing in helpful ways that the way of the future is to have a clear statement of what a positive uh, right to live out your belief might look like. Now, maybe that's in some other piece of legislation. Maybe there's an, another law that will deal with that. But where you, you're not treating the genuine human right of religious freedom as some kind of subclass of Rights. In other words, that it, it gets beaten by LGBT rights or uh, gender identity rights or other kind of new, newer uh, human rights which are around. Interestingly, as I'm trying to make sense of, and listeners no doubt will be thinking through this as well, uh, that somehow or other the Prime Minister Scott Morrison with his bill uh, has endeavoured to, in fact, do as you're saying, uh, create a right uh, for churches to be able to teach according to what they believe. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he's talking also about uh, getting rid of that exemption uh, where uh, students could be, uh, in fact, uh, expelled from schools. Uh, but perhaps that's going to need some, some more uh, nuance, some more narrowing, some more uh, reflective ideas that might come into the new year, do you think? Yeah, look, I think what was attempted and what in different ways, but both sides are attempting some kind of savings provision to say, well, this kind of thing isn't is going to be okay. You can still do this under anti-discrimination law. And what we're saying is, let's just get away from anti-discrimination law altogether and just have a very clear statement, either that this kind of stuff isn't discrimination or uh, that here is a positive right um, to hold our beliefs and teach them or... Uh, you know, you could you could say that what we've got to focus on is unjust discrimination, not not this kind of lawful um, uh, pattern of uh, you know behaviour. There are different ways to frame it and to approach it, but the one thing we can't do is keep trying to reframe and uh, exemptions which are just being whittled away. Uh, and at a state level, every time there's reform in this area, exemptions are just disappearing. Uh, so less and less protection. Uh, at law 
at, at the very time when more and more complaints are being made. So it, it is a critical moment. And you, you see that too in, in um, the Penny Wong bill, where although it was described as being introduced around you know schools and uh, students and, and just dealing with that, the, the wording of the bill actually talked about uh, an application to uh, education for faith-based institutions. In other words, it would apply. It would have applied to uh, even you know churches, uh, youth groups, uh, mosques. Uh, anyone who's doing education, who's a kind of faith-based uh, institution, would have been caught by it. So far from kind of bringing an act that clarifies things, it actually made the situation far worse. Uh, Sunday sermons, you know that talked on issues that were out of step with the uh, Sex Discrimination Act um, could have been reached by this. Now, that was very close to becoming law this week. Uh, and a lot of that is because of the numbers in Parliament at the moment. But, you know, uh, I think that has raised the attention of many um, faith-based organisations through the country. We're certainly having lots of calls and people saying look can we just clarify what the situation is there is a level of concern here and the government does need to be much clearer about where reform is going to go and every time the leaders of churches open their mouths to speak someone will construe that as a teaching time and so that's why it's all caught under the same idea uh, we're taking calls on one 316 quite a lot of calls coming through so we'll go through some calls as quickly as we can let's hear first of all from philip in new south wales hello philip welcome along thank you what are your thoughts philip um, is this all right? Because I, I was listening to it on the app. Is that coming through all right? Yep, I'm, I'm hearing yep. you fine. Yep, yep. Um, yes, I, I'm very concerned about the whole issue of what's happening in our nation with uh, religious freedom and freedom of conscience and so on. I just, and I've been following it pretty closely and, and looking at uh, the submissions to the uh, Senate committee that recently went through, uh, there was a dissenting submission from the coalition members and uh, they brought up the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and Protection of Freedom, Thought and Conscience and Religion. And I was just wondering, what teeth does that have if the worst happens and we get some totally um, ridiculous legislation here that totally ruins all religious freedom and conscience? Is there any teeth to that? Uh, Michael, let's get your thoughts on that. Uh, it's a brilliant dissenting report. So if you if you are following it, that's a great thing to look at for a helpful kind of summary of the area. Unfortunately, I, the international treaties don't have teeth in Australia uh, without the Commonwealth uh, saying it's now part of Australian law. So we can sign a treaty, but unless we actually go and make it part of Australian law, it doesn't have teeth. Now, the provisions there are, are great provisions in that treaty. They're quite reasonable in, in setting out what religious freedom is and isn't. Uh, and in our submission to the Ruddock Inquiry and in many submissions around this, we've been saying the simplest thing that would actually solve most of the problems around this issue would be for the Commonwealth uh, to enact that treaty uh, in Commonwealth law. In other words, to say, yep, we want it to have and uh, it will apply here uh, and we think that is actually probably um, the simplest um, best fix that we could look at it's very clear what 
the rights would be. Um, uh, it's it's not a kind of bill of rights and some strange new big legal system. It's um, it's the gold standard that um, we'd like to see put into place. Okay, something very positive in that. And thank you so much to Philip from New South Wales taking calls. one 316 Let's hear from Lawrence in WA. Hello, Lawrence. Welcome along. Hello, yes. I suppose my question, in a sense, relates to separation between church and state, i.e. that is the government not become involved in church issues. Uh, but regarding faith-based education institutions, it's more of a grey area because the government does become involved in a sense as they provide funding. I'd like to hear what, uh, what your thoughts are on that, please. Michael. Yeah, look, the separation of church and state is probably more an American idea than, than one here. So it wouldn't be unusual uh, here to have you know, prayer in schools or scripture classes in schools or things that would, would you know, break the American constitutional doctrine of separation of church and state. Um, and, and one of the areas is, as you say, school funding. So we've, we've got a system here where uh, uh, schools uh, are funded um, that, that uh, clearly come out of uh, faith basis. Um, so we're not America. Uh, that's a good thing. Okay, thank you so much to Lawrence in WA. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to be part of our conversation. Uh, let's hear from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Good day, Neil. And guest. Yeah, um, listen, when they, the same-sex marriage was on, that's all they wanted. They just wanted marriage between two people, but now they're just you know, p- pushing the boundaries. Um, I, I think we have to understand that you know, the devil knows his time is short. He's raging. He's making war against the saints. Um, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And now he, you know, the devil is trying to introduce his um, false illumination, you know, opaque illumination to nefarious groups. We have to know that Jesus said we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual weakness in high places. And, uh, you know, we're fighting against people who have sold out to the, the enemy, you know, in, in, like in politics, in the judiciary, in, in our police force. We can see that in, in Victoria, the, uh, you know, the, the absolute thing where they use some a lawyer to, you know, go against their clients. You know, we, that's unheard of. So, you know, we can see these things happening, I think, and... We just have to understand what's happening, the, the times we're in. Chris, good thoughts there, and uh, might just say a special honour to uh, the likes of Michael Callahan, uh, who is there on a cutting edge, uh, making submissions uh, to government, bringing clarity, bringing Christian position, a very powerful thing that you're doing, Michael, and you can't do that without the support of the saints, in the sense of uh, people who will recognise that there is a deeper spiritual battle that is at play Uh, for those who are called to pray and for those who are called to give and support the efforts of organisations like Freedom for Faith. But I wonder your uh, response for Chris in Victoria. Look, we're very conscious and thankful for the prayers of thousands of people. And uh, we've been swamped over the last week with messages like that, which is is great. Um, I think what we're talking about is, is the normal kind of Christian experience that we're told to expect. Uh, right from you know um, uh, Jesus's first teaching. So if you if you look at uh, one Timothy two, you see there that prayers that have been made for rulers, for kings, for those in authorities, that we might live quiet and godly lives. So the prayer there uh, asks 
I think that there, there might be freedom to live out in the faith because the, the idea of a godly life there is not a private, pious life, which is often how we think of godly. The, the, the word actually is the same word that the Romans use for their own public shrines and idols and living out of their faith. And so it's really saying that we might be able to live quiet lives free of persecution and ones which publicly live out the faith, pray for rulers. Um, that, um, and if we do that, then it's not just, you know, here's, um, you know, Freedom for Faith and Christian Schools Australia and uh, Australian Association of Christian Schools and ACL and others who are, who are doing these things in Canberra. It's actually every church. It's every Christian uh, who sees that there's an obligation there to pray for the rulers, that there might be freedom. So if, um, if, if you know, this conversation is part of an encouragement to do that, that would be a wonderful thing. Thank you so much to Chris in Victoria and a comment that came on Facebook from Carolyn who says all children should obey the rules if they are enrolled in a Christian school. Why should any be exempt? Uh, surely their parents are given all this information about the school's rules when they choose to enrol their children and don't the parents agree to the school's rules too? Uh, there's an interesting uh, issue there because when we're talking Christian schools, we're talking about what schools teach, uh, about what they believe. Uh, parents are given this option when they do enrol their children into a Christian school. Uh, what are your thoughts for Carolyn, uh, Michael? Uh it, it, it makes sense. There has been a law. It, it's now what's been contested. So what's been contested is whether uh, it's not just about the rights of the individual kid. It's about whether the school should have the right to teach things that you wouldn't be able to do if it was, um, I don't know, a, you know, a public school or if it was a, you know, uh, the, the local bank wanting to employ people. Uh, what gives you the right to set up a, an ethos and a belief which might be detrimental to people who have these protected attributes under anti-discrimination law? You couldn't do it if it was, say, you know, we refuse to, uh, you know, we, we, we think, I don't know, blind people are evil and we won't have them at our school. You know, everyone would rightly say that's outrageous and you shouldn't be able to have that kind of um, uh, practice taking place. Some are saying, look, you shouldn't be able to teach uh, in ways that uh, go against the, the chosen gender identity of uh, transgender um, identifying kids and the like. So there, there, there are issues about whether you should have that right and, and on what basis, and that's why we need clarity around what religious freedom is and isn't. And you raise the very important point that we won't have time to really get into, but uh, Christian schools here, uh, just the uh, pointy tip, because when you say business, uh, the same sorts of rules would apply wherever uh, you might suggest that these are the teachings that we would believe, uh, then everybody there is at risk. So we're talking about freedom 
for every Australian here about what you can, in fact, uh, even uh, even uh, discuss in the workplace. Uh, that's how significant it all is. Uh, just a quick word on context here, Michael, because we're running out of time, just a couple of minutes remaining. Uh, the context of where we're at, uh, we've said there's a bit of a reprieve. This will come up again early next year. As soon as the Parliament is sitting or as soon as there's an election called, uh, all of those things will be to the fore. This will be an ongoing debate. Good to understand the context now because next year is going to be a big one isn't it? Yeah and the Prime Minister's given a commitment to release the Ruddock report um, before the end of the year um, so we, we welcome that that's, that's good uh, and with that presumably will come the government response to it that will chart out look here's where we're heading, this is what we think needs to happen, um, that then needs to find expression in law so We'd like to see that happen before the election rather than have a contest in the election about what different parties might do and then people trying to figure out you know, whether to um, believe them or know whether they'll have the numbers to actually deliver it. Let's solve it, but let's, uh, let's have a look at Ruddock as we, as we do that. Uh, and uh, uh, certainly Freedom for Faith are, are going to be in that space trying to help um, uh, bring the best thinking and the concerns... Uh, of people of faith into into that uh, deliberation. Well, Michael, I really appreciate your clearing up some things today and uh, I appreciate your responses. It just is so good to be able to uh, go backwards and forwards and discuss these issues and get your insights from a legal position, uh, not just one that is uh, philosophizing or theologizing, but uh, there's a certain uh, theological legal position that you've been able to articulate so beautifully today. Uh, Michael Kellahan leads the Christian legal think tank called Freedom for Faith. Now, the website for Freedom for Faith is freedomforfaith.org.au. And, uh, Michael, uh, I know you'd like to get a few more friends too, no doubt, uh, people who are uh, participating in campaigns that you're running, people who are prayerful about the uh, sorts of uh, things that you're doing with submissions. Uh, no doubt there'd be some room for some more financial supporters as well, but uh, certainly appreciate you taking some time to talk to us today. Freedomforfaith.org.au. Michael Kellahan, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.